Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Happy days, my beautiful Busy Mumsies. Ash here. I hope you're doing great. As always, another week, another Busy Mumsy chat. Well, today I am welcoming Maxine Wanmiri onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. Maxine is a graduate of the University of Cambridge with decades of business experience. She has recently launched a book, so she is an author, highly accredited, number one Amazon bestseller, The Future is Greater. I'm so excited to meet her. So my sister-in-law reached out to me and said, well, we had Maxine speaking at an event and I just thought she would be a great busy mumsy. I think she'd be a great busy mumsy chat. And I thought, well, why not? And now I read her bio and I'm like, oh my Lanta, like she is next level, you know, doing some magical stuff in the world and empowering and coaching and inspiring so many busy mumsies. So I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the inspiration. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Maxine Wanieri, welcome to the Busy Mumsy podcast. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's so amazing to be here. Oh, your smile radiates. I realize this is a podcast and no one is really seeing you, but ladies and gentlemen, Maxine looks stunning. She is dressed to impressed. And sadly, I am in my busy mumsy sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, Ashley, well, thank you for saying that. Honestly, literally, I'm going straight to film something. Otherwise, I would be wearing my sweatshirt too. Love the busy mumsy sweatshirt. Oh, thank you. Can thank we get you. one? Where can we get one? Where, where can we get one? I know. You know, I really would love to be selling some merchandise on my website. So, you know, big dreams for 2024 and new Amazing. development of stuff. So, we shall see. I guess watch this space. You will. <laughs> and, and so you are uh, currently based in London, yeah? In London, yeah. yeah. And originally from? From Nigeria. So I was born uh, in Nigeria. Yeah, so okay. I lived there until age 11. Okay, I was going to ask, so like, when, when did you make the move to the UK? And how was, how was making the move then as an 11-year-old? Like, can you reflect back on that? Oh, my gosh, totally. So literally... You know, growing, I'm like so shy, very introverted by nature. And I was one of these kids, you know, that I would just literally spend my whole childhood in a book. So my parents like literally spent a fortune buying me books and then they took me to the library. So I was just one of these quiet kids. I loved it. My brothers and sisters, I have three siblings. They were out kind of making friends, playing. I just read. So when we moved from the UK, I'm sorry, from Nigeria to the UK, um, I just continued that. But it was a bit strange because, you know, like anybody who's done any kind of move, it is a huge deal. And I never really processed that. 
And I just kind of lived in my own little world, just in my books, not really, not really sure of what was going on. And I kind of bottled it up. Like a lot of the things would come up with, come up with moving, moving countries. And I never did anything with it. And actually it led to a bit of a crazy situation soon after we moved here. So I don't know if you want me to go there. <laughs> Should I go there? I mean, I, I I would love to hear it just for the simple fact too. Like I then start to think about my daughter who is nearing four. Mm. Um, and, you know, I moved her. She's now living in Uganda. It's been a year and some change living here. And I do wonder if she'll remember. Mm. Wonder, but it also the experience and yeah. the you know, and how it will shape her into her adulthood. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, interestingly, I have a daughter who's eight now and we were living in Norway when she was born and we moved her to the UK, back to London around the age of four. So four years later now, almost like the same amount of time that she's lived in London now, she doesn't really remember Norway, interestingly. Wow. She does not. And there's little aspects of it. And interestingly, she spoke Norwegian more. Like she spoke Norwegian more than English and more than anything else. She doesn't speak anymore. Um, and she doesn't really remember it. There's like snippets here and there. But in terms of, oh, my goodness, like your best friends. And you remember? No. And perhaps we could have done a better job of keeping in touch. But I don't know. The pandemic, that sort of thing didn't really help. But yeah, she, she remembers very little, if anything. But for you as an 11 year old, do you do you still feel like you have within you the roots that that were instilled in you from Nigeria or because I mean, London is definitely a different kind of hustled yeah. environment and experience. Mm -hmm. do you feel that you now are just kind of like, no, I, I no, I, I feel as though like in me, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, British and like, you know, I'm kind of like rooted there. Interestingly, so I am British and I feel very, very British, but I also still feel very, very Nigerian. And I have to say that that's probably down to my parents. They made a point of like, okay, this is what the culture is like. And, and have parents from two different states in Nigeria. So learning about the two different states from both of them. So I very much have that identity of I am Nigerian. And my husband actually married a Nigerian as well. He stayed in Nigeria longer, well into his adulthood. And so he moved from there to go to Norway to study, I think, early 20s. So he was kind of an adult. So we have this, I've had these connections that have kept me close, but he jokes with me sometimes that, oh, you're not really Nigerian because there's certain things about Nigeria that, you know, you just, I'm, I am very British and there's different things. So yeah, so I have kept that identity and I understand the language really well. I can speak it, um, but I, you know, you have to really think about, okay, what am I saying and translate? Um, so right. yeah, so it's effort, but definitely it's a part of who I am for sure. And then what was it for you becoming a first time mom? What, how did that change for you and your identity there? Oh my gosh. I think I just <laughs> lost, I lost oh, sense of who, Oh my God. <laughs> when I began, I lost sense of who I even was. Like literally, mm -hmm. I think prior to having her. So I lived in Norway. My husband lived in Norway. I moved there when we got married. And Norway's an amazing place for women, by the way. Like just, it's such a beautiful country. And, you know, it's very much all about making things right for women. It's very equal there. So I had a one year's paid off, like maternity. I was say, I, I think there's a hook in there with the yes. maternity leave, right? Maternity it's one leave. of the very few countries that support. Right. right. Yeah. And to be honest, I love that we had one year off paid. Till this day, I wish every single mother had that choice of like one year paid. But interestingly, before I went to have my child, I was in this high flying role where I'd fly here, fly there, closing huge deals with my company, you know, in corporate at that time. So literally going from this high flying job to effectively being a stay at home mom for a year, 
I was confused. Like my brain didn't know how to compute going from that to no adult conversation to what in the world just happened to me. It was quite a traumatic physical birth. Um, and now like I had everything I ever wanted from the outside looking in, but I felt so miserable most of the time. And I was like, I'm so lucky. Like, why am I not happy? And literally. But go I, back to what you just said, you had a bit of a traumatic birth. How were mm -hmm. you able to jump over that hurdle and navigate that? Into oh, I didn't. I just got on with it. I, I just, didn't, I just got on with it. And looking back and I was like, oh my goodness, now I knew that I was dealing with post, you know, traumatic depression and you know, postnatal depression, all of that. I never dealt with it. I just kind of got on with it because that's what you do. And it just, it wasn't working. And I think there was one day I'd just literally done, I think my daughter was around maybe seven weeks, eight weeks at this time. And I'd just done like the late feed. I felt like I was just like a nonstop feeding machine, done late feed. And I literally just went into my bathroom and just bawled my eyes out. I literally looked in the mirror. I didn't know who this woman was looking back at me. I was like, I just need a miracle. I need something <laughs> like this is not working. What shifted, what pivoted, what allowed you to find confidence in yourself to make you a priority? Mm -hmm. I think I just realized I can't keep living like this. I could not keep living like this. And it's so easy to put everybody else first. Like, okay, there's obviously a human life that you need to look after that they, they're literally relying on us. So that is of course important. And then I just kept on going on this hamster wheel where everything that was about me kind of just got pushed lower and lower and lower until the point where it was just, I couldn't keep going on like that. I was like, I joined, that's why I say busy mums, you should have been around when I was a new mom. So I joined some of these groups like that supposedly support you. And I just felt judged. I just felt like, you know, with some of the comments, oh, you should be grateful. You know, you have one year into all of these things that were, yes, it's true, but this is how I feel. And something's not right. I can't ignore the fact that something's not right. So I think it was, I can't keep living like this and there has to be a better way that got to just made me think, you know what, something has to change. Is this perhaps when the aha moment happened for you and your book, The Future is Greater? Is this kind of the pivot moment for you to then start taking pen to paper, to start writing, to start expressing yourself? Interestingly, no. But, you know, for the, my daughters, I have two, two children. So my son is four. So my daughter's aha moment led to me actually starting my business. So I ended up in my maternity leave, basically needing some adult conversation or something. My kind of, I was like, God, help me, give me something. It's like, okay, study. I got the idea, study part-time. So I ended up studying part-time to be what I found out was like transformational coach. I'm like, what is this? So anyway, I did this for like 10, 15 hours a week, ended up starting a business on maternity leave and started kind of coaching and realized, oh, I'm good at this. You know, I'm really good at this. So when I went back to work, you know, like a year later, I had the baby, I had the business, which had grown a bit actually. And I had the job and I was doing terribly at all of them. So at some point something had to give because it was just too much. Ended up, you know, turning in my res resignation and building this business that became quite successful in Scandinavia where we lived. So now fast forward four years to having my son, I thought I had it traumatic with my daughter giving birth. With him, I nearly died actually at the delivery, as in I delivered the baby. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, great. When do I get to hold my child? And then there's alarm screeching, like beep, 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 quick, we've got to save her. My child is snatched to the other side of the room. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? People are poking and prodding, like, it was horrendous. And literally, I'm asking what's going on. No one's answering. After about an hour, they say, we saved her. And I'm like, what? Turns out there was a mistake made during the delivery that, um, you know, I almost didn't make it. Basically, they had to fight for my life. So we had to be in the hospital, my son and I, for like four days. When we finally got released to go home, I was relieved. But I still felt like something's not quite right. Okay, wait, hold up. Wait a minute. So... 
Okay. Mm. I have to ask this because I immediately have a flashback and crying before being taken downstairs to deliver Adia. I had an elected cesarean. My hands were up. That's what I wanted to do. This, that was my birth plan. And to be honest with you, I don't care what anyone judges on that one. That's yeah. what I was. But they make you sign this paper that talks about you might not make it. You just might not make it. Wow. And I just started bawling. Wow. Now to hear that you're in a position where you literally almost don't make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do they explain that to you? How do you then, and what kind of aftercare did you receive? Yeah. yeah. What Was there anything to support? Because I'm sorry, you've gone through this nine month marathon in your body. You've gone through this marathon of giving birth, regardless of vaginally or cesarean, but you've gone through all of this. Now your hormones have plummeted down. You've a near life death experience. How were you supported? Interestingly, I wasn't supported. And guess what, Ashley? 12 days later, I nearly die in my sleep again because a mistake was made in emergency surgery. So August 10th, 2019, this is literally how my book starts. So you were asking me about what led to writing the book. August 10th, 2019, 12 days later, I wake up to what feels like a pool of blood that's spreading all around me. And I'm like, crap, what is this? So I tap my husband and he looks down and he's like screaming, his hands on his head, running around the room. So we call up 111, you lived in London, like that's the helpline like for advice. Before we could even explain like what's going on, she's like, you do not need advice. It sounds like you're dying. I'm gonna get you an ambulance. So literally as she says this, I now start seeing flashes of my life going through my eyes. I see myself running through the streets in Nigeria. I see myself going to university. I literally faces from my past coming in and I'm drifting to a light in a distance. So as I'm heading to this light, I now sense, no, no, you can't go to that light. You've got to turn back and look up to the left. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to go to the light. It's so peaceful. Let me just go there. So as I'm drifting, I just sense this urge saying, no, no, you've got to look up to the left. And it just won't quit. So I finally muster up the strength to lift up my head to look to the left. And when I do look up to the left, I feel like a lightning bolt go through me. And I realize, oh my goodness, up to the left is this child who's 12 days old, who has no food source in the house because I choose to breastfeed, but me. So if I die, what in the world are they going to do? And that literally, that realization of like, oh my God, like I am his food source. What are they, my husband could never cope with that and remember that he needs to feed. So that's what gives me the strength to begin to fight for my life. So they rush me back to hospital and realize the mess and fix it. So when I survive that, yeah, so let me stop. (laughs) You have like a million questions. So let's go where you want to (laughs) go. I can see your face. I want to know what the hell they screwed up. That's what I want to know. I want to know how they had two chances to have you on the table. Mm-hmm. And I took two of them and nearly killed you twice. Well, to be honest, I think the initial thing, my mom's a midwife, so she was furious. She actually like was there in the room and she saw like the delivery went fine. And they had a student, I think he was training, who did went to deliver the placenta and made a mistake. So the placenta rushed back up. So they have to kind of now in a rush, get the placenta back out. But in the rush and panic, it ruptures and they don't realize that there's some of it left, which then begins to clot and hemorrhage and you begin to lose blood. They told me I lost like three liters of blood. And I'm like, so what? They're like, the body has five to six liters of blood. And I'm like, oh, I lost like half the blood in my body. And literally they're like, it's a miracle. You actually woke up that morning because with this amount of blood lost, you should have gone in your sleep. So with all of that happening, I just realized, wow, okay. The purpose of really connecting to, I need to be here for this family, 
is what actually saved my life. Because I saw a light and I was heading to it and it was great. It just felt so peaceful. It was amazing. And then literally I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. So I continued to follow my purpose, follow my purpose. What, what should I do? And sometimes my purpose was just get up and just be there and be there for these children, be there uh, for my family. And then one day my purpose was like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book to help all the mums, because this was the pandemic now, like every single report you read, mothers were having a hard time anyway. And then the pandemic just made it a million times worse. I don't, can't imagine you giving birth during that time and how that would have been like. And it's, you've got to help them. And I was like, I, I'm trying to help myself right now. I don't feel you know, well fully yet, but it just wouldn't quit. Just like that morning when it's like, look up to the left, look up to the left. It's like, you've got to write this book. I didn't want to write this book. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to cry and say, why me? This was not my birth plan. I wanted to feel sorry for myself because this amazing business I'd built collapsed all around me. But this book wouldn't quit until I wrote it. Because I could see the women at the end that just see, you know, there's no hope for me. And there's always hope. Once you connect to that purpose you're meant to, there's always hope and everything you need will be with you. How did you prioritize your own mental health during this time? Was it just easy to write and that's how you coped with it? Or was there still another side that needed some ironing out? Oh, completely. Even till this day, I still need help. I have an amazing therapist, coach, it's highly, highly skilled um, that helped me. Because during that time, you need to process all of that because this was not my plan. I'm someone who plans, I organize, I deliver. And, you know, to have, why is my body not doing what it should, right? You know, I've already said it in the intro. You are Cambridge University graduate. We know you got structure and plans and a voice and a path. Yeah. But you're also a human being. Human you're also a human being. being that has society saying it has to be this way. No, it has to look that way. Right. So you've got trumpeting in society. Yeah. Yeah. You have the education, but it's still that that society is so loud. Exactly. So there has to be the iron out point for you. Exactly. Exactly. So I had that space that was held for me so powerfully by my coach, Nisi. And even till this day, like I've just got to give myself, you know, a lot of moms say it was such a luxury to have me time. Me time is not a luxury. The busier you get, the more you need your me time to actually just get the help you need and also just hear, because we are so powerful. Like if I didn't take the mo uh, one moment to hear, like see and look up to the left, do not go to that light, I would not be here. And we mm -hmm. have life saving and maybe not life, physical life and death saving intuition coming through to us, but in terms of the quality of life you live as a mama, you have that powerful guidance coming from within you and you've got to give it space to come forth. You've got to. Now, I do. I mean, I think it's evident in saying that it's a very slippery slope for each each individual person and how they have handled trauma and their birth story and everything as a coach. And you yourself have gone through something like this. I honestly chills. And I'm so grateful to see you in the virtual space and hear your voice and meet you. How do you help and coach and advise other women to prioritize their needs and prioritize their aspirations and dreams? Because when you do become a mom, it does seem to be locked up in another cupboard yeah. and you're kind of supposed to put it there and maybe, maybe get back to it. Yeah. How do you help others find that strength to open it up? Yeah, that is such a good question, Ashley. And to be honest, I could talk for days on it. But I would say, because typically who I work with is... You're allowed to, Maxine. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I work with, you know, women who are high-achieving women. You know, from the outside looking in, they look like 
oh my goodness, whether this is politicians, you know, business, corporate, whatever, they've got it made. They're the women that you want to be. But on their own, it's like another story. Like, you know, there's all of these issues with dreams, hopes locked up because everything else seems to be more important. And, you know, we, when we have kids, they are important. But guess yeah. what? So are we. And I think probably the most powerful thing that I've said um, to in, in, as a coach to women like this is that sometimes we feel like it's selfish or, you know, we can't really do this because there's all these other important things. But actually, it's one of the most selfless things that you can do to prioritize you. I mean, I'm thinking of one client in particular who was like, oh, I can't possibly do anything for myself and saying, hey, listen, this is not selfish. It's actually selfless to do this. In actually pursuing these dreams that have been locked up for five years, actually, before we began to work with her, she was like, begin to doubt herself anyway. She's like, what can I even offer out there in the, in the marketplace? You know, I said, no, you've got to take some time, prioritize yourself. She went from like, oh, I can't really do anything. I don't have any self-confidence to not only starting a business that's wildly successful, the government in her area, like, oh my goodness, come and advise us, we need help. Two years later, she gets elected and is now not only like impacting tens of thousands of people in her local vicinity, her kids are like, oh my goodness, mommy, you want to be just like you. And that it's so normal for them to now interact with all these people that she once watched on TV. And she's like, I couldn't have, there's no way I could have done anything better for my children than this. But giving myself space and time to see what's locked up in my heart. So I think sometimes we feel like, oh, it's either my thing or the family thing, or we put these in these compartments. But actually, one of the best things that you can do for your family is to be the best version of you. Because, the, you know, if you're there, like kind of turning yourself, you know, denying yourself of everything you want to do, they see the resentment that creeps up from doing that. They see the frustration that eventually comes up from doing that. They see sometimes the burnout if you don't look after yourself with self-care and they copy that. We don't want burnout, overwhelmed, resentful children. We want children who are um, living out their dreams, children who are fulfilling their potential. And one of the best ways to do that is to show them how to do it. Because I, I, I literally, it takes me straight in to ask you about mom guilt. Mm. Writing a book, having your own business, that's no easy task. No. Running a household is no easy task. No. And I hope you have help. And I hope oh, that yes. you're not able to say yes. Thank you very yes. much. It's you need an army, and I, I don't yes. care what that army is. Right. You need right. This yes. to do. Yes. I the future is greater, your book. Where you are now as a coach, so the book has launched, the book is out there. You now work, you're working with all of these clients in this in, in their different aspects mm -hmm. and different ways of life, right? Now are you looking at your book as now what is next for number two? Because I can't, I, I feel like this is just an ongoing learning cycle, right? Yeah, Not yeah. only for the client, but then about you yes. and how you teach and how you coach. So what is in the pipeline? Oh, <laughs> I, thank I, you. I feel like there's book two already. There, there's got to be a book two, but honestly, I, on, I almost want to see it through with book one. And what I mean by see it book through with book one is I didn't want to write the book. I didn't have time to write the book. You know, as a busy mumsy, there's no time to write a book. What made me write the book was seeing the woman at the end of the book, whether she's listening or reading, who's like, you know what? I'm tired of this. And I want to see her through to the point where she is living in a future that is greater. And in terms of what's next, so literally when I wrote the book, I looked at what are the eight main things that kind of hold us back as mums from having this greater future? And of course, mum guilt is there. With a, with a capital M, like mom, MG. So mum guilt is a massive one. You know, things like lack of confidence. Sometimes like we feel like we're not good enough to do what we want to do. Or sometimes every we day. Like, every, every day. day. 
we have this, this, the one where we compare ourselves. Like, you know, we've got to compare ourselves to other people. We've got to feel like people please society. You talked about that before. So there's eight major things that I see keep women back. And the book is divided into eight chapters to deal with them. So what I actually did was I've actually set up a kind of follow on community where people can say, hey, I've discovered that you know my main thing is comparison and mum guilt. So where can I come and get the support to really work through these issues? So it's not such an issue for me anymore. So I really want to I'm for sure I'm going to write more books, but I want to see I want to see those faces that tell me, Maxine, this is what I was like. And now this is possible. That for me is what drives me. That's what makes me wake up in the morning. That's what makes me think like, oh my goodness, I can't go on, but I've got to go on because it's, it's them. So I've got to see the completion of these lives changed before I write the next book. <laughs> so, so, it's in that so Maxine, you're going on tour first. I'm going on tour. I'm going to sh share the book and then, then hopefully the readers can come and you know find each other. Because sometimes as well as moms, what makes the guilt worse is we think we're alone. We think we're the only one, we're the worst mom in the world going through all of this. And you're so not. One thing I, I know as a coach is I'm having literally the same conversations with different people. So let people hear, let's learn from one another without judgment. Because quite frankly, every mom's entitled to make her choices. Now let's see, let's pick the good. Let's learn from one another. Do you feel for yourself that you have been able to heal or do you feel that it's still like work in progress? You still have your moments. Like where, where are you in, in your own journey? Do you know what? You know, this is going to sound totally bonkers. Are you familiar with bonkers? Like, oh, yeah, like yeah. Yeah. this is going to sound totally bonkers. I've heard it all now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, doc. <laughs> You're press here, Londoner. So it's totally I practically wrong. am. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, you don't know when I say my Lanta all the time, and that's Southern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and obviously it's traumatic. It was a long healing journey. And, uh, you know, like I say, I still work with my coach and therapist. But I'm, in a way, glad this happened in a strange, bonkers way. Because I wouldn't have this book that I believe in so much, that I know will change lives so much, if I didn't nearly die that day. I mean, I would have been just in my happy, even with the trauma with my daughter, I would never started a business if I didn't say, oh my gosh, enough of this. Like, similarly, like you, busy mumsy wouldn't exist if you didn't be like, I need something after I have an idea, right? So I feel sometimes like the, the hardness in life, like those um, difficulties, they make us who, you know, they can either break us or make us. And I feel like my difficulties have made me be the most effective me. So I've healed and I think nobody's perfect. I think I have moments where I'm like, like then I, I have the right spaces and the help to deal with that. But this has made me so much more effective than I ever could have been. This has made me so much more compassionate than I ever could have been. I don't know that I was as kind as I was until I realized what it's like to be the one who feels hopeless, you know? So I feel like it's really made me who I am. And I'm grateful for that. Maxine, if you could just pass the torch to that expecting busy mumsy, what you know now after having two children, having fought your good battles, your bad battles, all of it, the ups, the downs, and all around. What words of wisdom, something that you hold close to your heart that you would like to pass on? You're enough. You are mm. enough. I think society tells us that actually before you even have the mom, you should have had the, you should have been married by this time. You should have had the baby by this time. And when's number two? And all someone asked me, when's your baby? When are you gonna have a baby? Just like a week after I had a miscarriage. And there's all these people that tell you these things and we carry these silent battles that tell you, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're enough. Hear me, even if you remember nothing else I say to you on this podcast, you are enough. Just as you are, not until you sort the mess you think you need to sort out, just as you are. Because even in my broken, messy, crazy state, 
I was able to get the idea that I really hope will change so many lives. I didn't feel enough, but I was enough, just like you are enough. Just start there. Maxine Waneri, you are absolutely a thousand percent enough. Thank you so much for your time, your words of wisdom. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yes! Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.